Hey everyone, it is Zach, and if you're listening to this, you guessed it, um, life kind of got in the way of the main podcast this week, but we have some exciting stuff coming. Uh, we're going to be a little bit inconsistent in the next two weeks because of the holidays, uh, Christmas and New Year's and stuff like that, so we will keep you updated on when shows are going to come out, but we have a rerun that me and Nick have been talking about a lot. Figured we'd listen to it, and we figured you can listen to it with us. Uh, this is a pretty old episode, episode 65, I think, and that's probably one of the best things to think about when we uh, talk about this episode is going to be how things have changed in two years, because um, they, they changed somewhat, mm, they haven't changed in other ways. Um, yeah, I won't spoil anything if you haven't listened to this episode before. But I tried to uh, beef up this one, make it a little bit easier to listen to, uh, and I just hope you like it. So, um, yeah, that's about it. Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm here with my friend Zach. Hello, everyone. So today, we are going to be talking about win conditions, and specifically what cards can be considered win conditions, and what cards like aren't really effective win conditions in Commander. Because we see a lot of people talk about cards that they consider the win conditions of their deck that I would not consider yeah. to be a win condition. Yeah, and th- so we have some, some kind of constraints about what is and is not a win condition. We don't want you to think immediately that these are the only ways to win a game of Commander also. We'll kind of talk about more tech you can use, but specifically what a win condition is, is kind of a a particular set of things. Yes, and before we jump into defining what a win condition is in Commander, I just want to briefly talk about our Patreon page. So Commander Theory has a Patreon page, which means that all of you listeners can now start directly supporting the show and get access to some sweet rewards. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and vote on what sort of content you'd like to see and get a shout-out in the show's credits. If you're willing to give a little bit more, you can hang out with us on Google Hangouts, get one-on-one deck advice, join our Discord server, and get your questions answered on the podcast. So check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory and become a patron today. If you're on a tight budget and can't commit to becoming a patron, you can also help us out by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other potential listeners find us so we can grow our listener base and invest some more time and money into the podcast. So leave us a review today and thanks for your help all right with that i think we can jump back into the topic for today so win conditions so what are the characteristics of a win condition yeah so a win condition it doesn't require significant deck building restrictions it's going to require little to no setup you're not going to really need too many particular things on the board or in the hand to make it work and uh, it ends the game or locks other players out of the game to the point where you can just push much further ahead than anyone else. Win conditions are typically not just combo pieces or synergy cards that require two or three other cards to work. An example of this is I don't think either of us consider like Kiki Jiki in particular a win condition, even though Kiki Jiki is very powerful. Just if you cast Kiki Jiki for five mana, you're not you don't win yeah. immediately. You need another card or three or two or one to work. Um, vanilla creatures are typically not win conditions. 
kind of makes sense, but uh, there's also French vanilla and virtual vanilla creatures that are very powerful that people kind of treat as win conditions. Mm -hmm. uh, and then narrow cards. So this could be cards that win or are very powerful, but only in certain situations. Can you explain to me why some of these things prevent something from being a win condition? So why is a combo piece that requires a bunch of support in order to work, why is that not a win condition? Yeah, so um, let's say you are talking about repercussion perhaps mm -hmm. uh, i very much like repercussion as a card it's a red enchantment uh, whenever damage is dealt to a creature it deals that much damage to the creature's controller and you can win a lot of games with repercussion but if you top deck repercussion and you don't have any of the damage dealing cards in your hand you don't you don't win mm -hmm. like if you're if you're in a good position even but you don't have any of the other pieces you, you probably don't even want to play repercussion because you might your blockers might take damage like you might not have set up the board to a spot where like you're in a spot where you can win with it it's a pretty narrow card and it requires at least one other card to work do you want to say anything else about this no no this i i definitely agree with you like i think that what we're talking about as win conditions are cards that you can just rip off the top of your deck and boom, you're there, you're ready mm -hmm. to win. And because like, this is so much of what makes colors powerful in Commander. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're in a color that has tutors, for example, if your deck is full of combos, then a single tutor off the top of your deck isn't going to win you the game. Mm -hmm. You need to get have that tutor and another tutor or like just naturally draw one of your combo pieces in order to assemble a win. But if you're in a color where you have a bunch of tutors and there is a single card that can win you the game by itself, mm -hmm. then you are going to win a lot more often because you like you can have 10 cards in your deck, all of which win you the game immediately when you draw them. Yeah. yeah. And, and we'll talk about that a lot more once we get to black and green. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but it's not enough. It's not enough to have repercussion and blasphemous act in your deck because it's really difficult to assemble multiple card combos mm -hmm. in 100 card singleton format. Yeah, yeah, redundancy is very powerful, especially when it comes to winning the game. One of the things I do want to say too is that uh, we don't necessarily just have decks stacked. Like when me and Nick are playing games, like we, we do play with some of the cards we're going to say here, but like not every game, we do use these cards where it requires two cards or a setup or a board or something like that. Like, I don't want everyone out there listening to think that, like, yeah, we win every game by getting crater <laughs> and, and killing everybody. Uh, like, this is kind of a examination of the powerful cards in the format, the win conditions in the format, and kind of what that means about the format itself. Like, yeah. I think this is a good snapshot of the format when you look at it through this lens. Yeah, in, in this episode, we're talking about the, what the optimal way to play is. Mm -hmm. Like, the colors that have just one-card win conditions and a lot of ways to find them are at a huge advantage relative to those that aren't. Oh, yeah. And we don't think that necessarily you should play this way, mm -hmm. but I think it matters a lot for the people who are designing the format and the people who are managing the ban list they need to be aware that of these disparities because like how is white ever going to compete with the other colors if it has like no win conditions and no way to find those yeah. win conditions. So that's actually a great segue into white. So Oh, actually sorry. There is one there are is a few other things I wanted to say before we oh, segue. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I also wanted to ask you 
uh, you said that wing conditions are not vanilla creatures. Why? Why is that? Why is my divinity of pride not enough to win the game? Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of people put big fat in their deck because big fat, like it has power. Power deals damage. Damage can kill people. But really, you can't really rely on just having a 5-5 and attacking with the 5-5 over and over again to win the game. Like, there's a ton of kill spells and there's spot removal. Let's say you have a 5-5. Your opponents all have 40 life. Uh, Let's say you have three opponents. So, like, you can do the math on that. It's going to take 24 turns for you to attack each of your opponents to death with your vanilla 5-5. Or maybe it's a 5-5 flyer, so it gets in, it's almost guaranteed to get in there every turn. Mm-hmm. That just is not really efficient enough. Do you think that that 5-5 is going to last the 24 turns required to kill them? Even an 8-8, like an 8-8 is still going to take you 15 turns to kill everyone attacking one time each turn. So these vanilla creatures, like, yes, it is good to have creatures that can attack obviously i'm not saying you shouldn't play creatures that can attack what i'm saying is that you cannot just rely on having force of nature anymore mm-hmm. to close out a game an 8-8 trample isn't really a good enough win condition uh, to to close out the game i completely agree and also i think it's worth making the distinction that like if your color if there is something in your color that wins the game by itself Mm -hmm. and requires you to deal like no other damage from any other creatures Mm -hmm. then you really shouldn't be placing a premium on creatures that are big and get in for damage Mm -hmm. yeah of course so like yeah you could run i don't know uh deadwood tree folk or a marasa green warden like to to have something that gets things back from your graveyard and also beats in for six but really, if that's, that six doesn't damage doesn't matter at all, if you are planning on winning with Craterhoof anyway, and having like overwhelming power at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it's much better to just play Eternal Witness instead, get back your card for three mana instead of for six, and the additional damage output of a Marasa Green Warden doesn't matter. It's just something you're wasting three mana on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The awareness of like your game plan. Uh, I think this is something that like limited resources talks about a lot. If you listen to them where you want your deck to have a plan, that's especially true in commander. And that's one of the reasons the format's so popular. You have a commander, your commander has a play style. You have a plan that you made when you put your deck together to win or like, I want to make a bunch of mirror tokens. I want to uh, gain a bunch of life. I want to recur things from the graveyard over and over again. And typically that plan includes a win condition a way you can win so just putting in a hydra omnivore into like a random deck isn't necessarily enough to really actually win a game a lot of the time yeah definitely and people complain a lot about commander deck commander games going on too long Mm -hmm. people not being able to win that's because like they're running threats and win conditions that aren't actually well suited to the format yeah like if your win conditions are things like hydra omnivore or divinity of pride just like vanilla creatures essentially Mm -hmm. like they're gonna get wiped away they're going to get somebody's gonna wrath the board and then oops how am i how is my deck supposed to win yep but like most of the win conditions we talk about today a lot of them are things with 
end of the battle like creatures with end of the battlefield effects where like spot removal is not going to do it yeah it's just not going to matter or their spells where like okay if you don't have a, if they resolve then you're screwed yeah yeah you're in such a better place than anyone else is yeah or or, or they're like enchantments like which is a naturally kind of difficult to remove card type mm-hmm so all of these things are not just creatures that I am. I hope that they are going to last long enough for me to get in my 120 damage. Yeah, yeah. And I think you'll kind of see, and I, I think that kind of will resonate with you if you've played a lot of games of Commander where your World Queller, like, yeah, maybe it's taken out the problem enchantments, but, like, is it really winning you the game at that point? Like, there, there are cards that do a lot value-wise, that can win the game. Like I said, any creature with any power can win the game, but is that a sufficient win condition? That's kind of what we're looking at in this episode. Mm-hmm. So I think right. now we're ready to jump into I, it. I think we are. <laughs> Normally, uh, when we do something like this, we'd go in color order, but today we're not. And you're going to see why once we get to white. So, so, <laughs> so we're going to start with blue. And the, the first card I want to talk about is Expropriate. This is lately, and since it was released, this has kind of become like the boogeyman for blue wind conditions. Yeah, for sure. It's seven blue-blue sorcery. Council's Dilemma. Starting with you, each player votes for time or money. For each time vote, take an extra turn after this one. For each money vote, choose a permanent owned by the voter and gain control of it then exile expropriate so this card it's often many extra turns yeah yeah and or all of the best permanence and an extra turn yeah which is typically (laughs) enough to pull pretty far ahead (laughs) yeah like you can have a completely empty board you can just have nine islands on the board and then rip this card and then you are in a commanding position because you have all of the best permanents and an extra turn with which to do something with them. Yeah. And that's the absolute worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> the worst case scenario is you vote time, everyone else votes money, and you get all of their commanders or whatever. Yeah. Like, the best case scenario, where you take four extra turns, how do you not win in that yeah. position? <laughs> if your deck can't win when you are doing every when you're doing your thing for four turns and you know that no one else can do anything. Yeah, when you just get to kind of start goldfish literally goldfishing. Yeah. <laughs> so really expropriate is uh the best blue win condition in that respect. If it's just a card that if it resolves, you don't need anything you just need the mana to cast it and mm-hmm. you can probably win yeah blue also just time stretch effects in general like there are time stretch effects that are uh, this is the best one mm-hmm. um but time stretch effects in general usually kind of cascade into a board state where you just win they're, they're um more or less like card parody just because you spend a card to at bare minimum draw a card and then untap it's it's everyone's least favorite parts of uh profit accrue fix <laughs> but like card neutral mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at bare minimum and, and this is going to be a really common theme in the win conditions we talk about is just completely preventing your opponents from doing anything at, while you are unimpeded yeah like the idea is as as you mentioned earlier any creature can win the game mm-hmm. 
if it's if there is like no roadblocks, if there's nobody interacting with what you're doing, then your your tutu fauna shaman or whatever can get in there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these wind conditions are just shutting off your opponent's abilities to interact, so that any anything can win the game at that point. You can just beat in with trinket mage. Yeah. And and I do want to make a note here too that blue has a lot of ways to win the game that kind of fit into the categories we mentioned above of like they need maybe another card to function or uh, like lab maniac is a good example of that like lab maniac is a win condition or not, not but not in the way that we're meaning it here like it'll win you the game but you need to mill yourself mm-hmm. first like if you top deck a lab maniac that. You don't just win straight off. And for the same reason, uh, another boogeyman of the format isn't here, Cyclonic Rift. As much as people complain about it, it is not a win condition. Mm-hmm. Like, it keeps you alive. Like, yeah. you can top deck it and be in a pretty good spot. It's primarily a reactive card, mm-hmm. which means that you aren't going to just win the game after a Cyclonic Rift. And another thing I want to say before we move on about mm-hmm. how extra turn effects are such good win conditions is... They are never dead cards. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you can cast them, they like completely refund the card because you're getting another draw step, and they completely refund the mana and may even net you mana mm-hmm. if you have more mana than than their cost. Like there are like suboptimal times to cast an extra turn effect, but there's never a bad time. Yeah, to yeah. Cast an extra they're turn always just at bare minimum like card parity. <laughs> yeah. So like in the best case scenario, you will win. Mm-hmm off of your extra turn effect in the worst case scenario you didn't lose anything by casting it mm-hmm. yeah it, they're pretty nuts and now we have uh the uh, contentious nexus of fate added to the lineup uh, mm. and that's pretty wonderful um unless you hate it and then i'm sorry definitely a mistake but it's a uh, it's an interesting mistake yeah <laughs> yep magic has a lot of those <laughs> <laughs> but uh i think we're gonna move on to black and oh boy black it's cup runneth over. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the first, I mean, we have a, a few cards we want to talk about. I, I, I kind of want to just talk about them all briefly, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. But the first one is Exsanguinate. Uh, Exsanguinate is one of the few like uncommon cards, like uncommon rarity win conditions that just is so powerful, so nuts in Commander. X, black, black, sorcery, drain everyone X life. Like you gain all the life you drained. It's... Nuts, if it doesn't just win you the game outright, you maybe drained everyone 30 life and you gained 30 life and now you're in a better position. You 90 life. Oh, 90. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something just nuts like that. Like, this card is ubiquitous. Uh, you've probably seen it a lot. It's an incredible top deck. I've it's, seen this kill many, many players. Yeah, this is kill. Even if it doesn't kill everyone at the table, maybe it kills like one or two people at the table. It's and it's then really you have nuts. an enormous life buffer over everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible. If this card didn't gain life, it would be so much worse. Yeah, so much worse. But really, it not only like kills whoever's weakest, buys you so so much time mm-hmm. in order to find ways to deal with the remaining people. Which uh, another card that kind of fits into that vein is Infernal Darkness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you've listened to some of our other podcasts talking about Infernal Darkness and kind of how amazing it is. <laughs> um, it just locks everyone but you at the table out. It doesn't turn off Cabal Coffers uh, or your Ancient Crypt Tombs, Crypt Gas, yeah, anything like that. And has a really low 
cost compared to what people think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's only uh, the initial investment is only four mana, and then the upkeep is only like like one mana cumulative after that. So relative to some other upkeep costs, it's not that bad. And like the the degree to which it hampers mm-hmm. your mana is much much less than the degrees to which it messes with oh, your opponents. Yeah. yeah, unless you're you're in one of those rare games where it's like four mono black decks playing against each other or like everyone is playing black like this card just shuts down most opposing decks it just just completely invalidates them like you don't have to worry about counter spells you don't have to worry about like kill spells or or, uh, like swords and stuff like that like it's it's nuts yeah it the play pattern is is very similar to like these multiple extra turn effects these expropriates Mm -hmm. these time stretchers because you are playing the game no one else is really playing the game. I mean, any well-built deck can win the, the game from that yeah. position. Yeah, if you have a commander that you built around, uh, you can go for it. Yeah. <laughs> go to town. I want to lump the next two cards together because they're pretty similar. Uh, the first is Cabal Conditioning. It is six and a black for a sorcery. Any number of target players each discards cards from his or her hand equal to the highest converted mana cost among permanents you control. So... In practice, what this actually says is each opponent discards their hand. Yep, yep. So uh, this is a pretty strong card. It's really not that difficult to have like a four or five CMC card on the battlefield. And that's usually enough to clean out your opponent's hands. And once they're in that state, once you've put them in top deck mode then you've really disrupted their ability to answer you. Because most people like sandbag some removal spells, sandbag some answers. But if you wipe out all those answers and they're just reliant on the top of their deck, then it's going to be very difficult for them to rebuild from that point. Yeah. This is especially true of the next card. <laughs> yeah. And then Myojin of Knight's Reach is even more powerful. It's uh, <laughs> five black, 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 so eight mana. For a legendary spirit, it's a 5-2, and it enters the battlefield with a divinity counter on it if you played it from your hand. It has indestructible as long as it has a divinity counter on it, and you can remove that divinity counter in order to make each opponent discard their hand. This one uh, is even better because you have the opportunity to wait until an opponent's draw step yeah. so that they discard that first card they're in like super top deck mode yeah the fact that it's instant that like there's so many parts about this and that it's a creature you can recur just really really nuts everything that was said about cabal conditioning like kind of cranked up to the max yeah so so again this is it's both of these cards are similar to infernal darkness they're similar to time stress they're similar to expropriate they just remove your opponent's ability to interact with you for the most part. You can have onboard tricks, whatever. So you have like a window where you can do whatever you want and you're fairly confident that your opponents aren't going to be able to stop you. Mm-hmm. And that's what really wins games of Commander. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that looking at, like I said, your game plan and focusing your deck so that your game plan can be executed is just so incredibly powerful. I think that's something that a lot of deck builders kind of need practice focusing on because there are so many fun cards in Commander, but 
I would argue that if you have a lot of fun cards you want to play, you should make a lot of decks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's no no harm to making a bunch of different decks that do different things with mm -hmm. different cards. That's actually entirely why I make decks, is because I want to try a bunch of different things and different commanders and different playstyles. So definitely these kind of push your strategy forward to the point where no one can do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And the last card is, uh, I think, one of... I, me and Nick love this card yeah, so much. Yeah, this is a great one. So uh, this is Hatred. So Hatred is an instant. It is three black black, so five mana. It has, as an additional cost to cast this spell, pay X life. Target creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn. Um, so this one kind of... I mean, if you can't guess how it's a win condition, uh, <laughs> then I'm sorry, but you just kill somebody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you top deck hatred and go, oh, goodbye, and kill him. And if it's your commander, you don't have to pay as much life. And if it's a creature with lifelink, you don't care. Mm -hmm. It's There's so many ways in which this card just is and the really, ridiculous. Yeah, and the really sweet thing is that you don't even have to have a creature on the board. Mm -hmm. Like You can target an opponent's creature like, okay, you've got a guy with double strike. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I only need to put nine life into this, you say. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, considering like the potential to murder someone and like the amount of life you put into it doesn't really matter. Mm hmm. Yeah, it, for sure. Like, not having to deal with an opponent for the rest of the game is worth. Uh, is worth a lot yeah and I, that's I, a very valuable thing yeah and i want to kind of reiterate the difference between this and a card like this card in particular like nick said you don't need to have a board to be able to do it and i think most people would pay five mana and nine life to destroy target player mm -hmm. i feel like that's a pretty apt like like even if it's like pay 20 life and five mana to destroy target player i'd still do that i'd pay 39 life Mm -hmm. And five mana to destroy target mm -hmm. player. So, like, this this card is just nuts. And if you've never seen it played, uh, congrats. And uh, I uh, hope that... You should learn to fear it. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One thing I also... Before we move on to the next color, I also just want to talk about how, like, not only does black have a lot of options when it comes to win conditions... But it has a ton of ways to find them. Mm -hmm. Like black is the tutor color, so it's even if you're only running one of these five cards we just mentioned, uh, you can find it really consistently because you have a critical mass of cheap tutors. You've got your vampiric, your cruel tutor. You've got your yeah. demonic. You've got your sure your your uh, imperial seal. You've got your grim tutor. Yeah, whatever, whatever. all of them, and like not even counting like beseech the queen or blood speaker, like kind of more narrow, like buried alive, mm -hmm. like all of these like various like tutors. So many tutors. That yeah. you can find. Dark Petition. Yeah. Diabolic Intent. Yeah, really nuts. Even like Diabolic Revelation, just like get all the things you needed. Mm -hmm. um, I've been really enjoying Final Parting lately. Mm. Like that card is really nuts. Um, just the ability to find whatever you need in black is one of the reasons black is so powerful. Absolutely. So like... You don't your your color doesn't need to have a critical mass of win conditions as long as it has ways to find what it does have, and uh, blue also has this advantage in that um, like yeah there's only one expropriate but there is 
personal tutor. There's mystical tutor. Mm -hmm. There's a number of ways to find that card. So the, the virtual number of expropriates is a lot larger than what you would think. Oh yeah, for sure. And this is obviously magnified for black in such a huge way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and will be for another color, but, uh, uh, but, but nudge first. nudge <laughs> foreshadowing first. yeah um but yeah but first we have uh, a red card that kind of gets people the wrong way a lot of the time but it is probably the best red wind, wind condition. condition yeah, yeah. insurrection so this is uh another eight mana spell you'll notice that most of these are, are pretty expensive but yeah. <laughs> that's fine because you really only need in each case you really only need one of them yeah really it's okay if most of the cards in your deck are like really low curve efficient and then you just have one expensive spell that can win the game and then you like devote a lot of card slots to cheap ways to find it mm -hmm. um so insurrection is five red 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 for a sorcery untap all creatures and gain control of them until end of turn they gain haste until end of turn. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it's pretty spicy. Um, this card is one of the only red cards that you can just play and then win. Mm -hmm. Just you play it and then you win. <laughs> and there are not really any other red cards that just do that as to, that I can think of. Yeah. The, like red, especially nowadays, has a lot more ways to win but i would not consider them like just straight win conditions in the same way insurrection is yeah like red has more ways to like uh generate mana or generate cards mm -hmm. like ways that like will get you closer to a victory yeah for sure but not like this resolves and then you're all dead yeah yeah really insurrection is i think the way that red can do this yeah and and that's part of it is because like so often in commander you just get into these board stalls where mm -hmm. it's not really profitable for anyone to attack mm -hmm. and or people are so worried about the crackback, mm -hmm. like leaving themselves exposed to other people that they're not willing to turn their own guys sideways. Mm -hmm. And this kind of just like cuts that Gordian knot. Yeah, where <laughs> really. It's just uh, it doesn't matter. Be, like the people's defenses are gone and you have an army out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just the fact that like it doesn't target um they all like it doesn't matter what they had it doesn't matter what was going on like usually you cast insurrection and at eight mana it's a late game card and mm -hmm. at bare minimum you kill someone yeah <laughs> you kill someone who had the worst board or you kill uh someone who had the most answers or you you kind of make a decision based from there but yeah and it's a sorcery like it's mm -hmm. this it's not like a creature that does this it's something that is hard, really difficult for most colors to interact with mm -hmm. and even if there is a, a counterspell player on the field, you, like, you might be able to come to an understanding. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> or you just wait till they're tapped out. Yeah, true. Sometimes they got to tap out. But yeah, red, not too many. Yeah, it's unfortunate that red doesn't have very many ways to win the game out of nowhere. It's pretty much just the insurrection. Yeah. And then it also has the downside of like not having ways to find in our insurrection consistently. Mm-hmm. Once you exhaust your gamble, you're uh, yeah. <laughs> out of luck. Yeah, and and one of the things we're going to get about this episode in particular, like things I, I'm anticipating, like messages that we might get is like, well, what about like Mizzix Mastery or uh, like the Kiki Jiki I mentioned earlier or something like that. Like What uh, about X card? X card, yeah. Like a lot of these cards, like we said at the very beginning, like 
you don't you can't cast Mizzix Mastery for Overload on turn six or whatever it is and win. Mm-hmm. Like you had to have like considerable setup in order for that to happen. Like after a long game, you overload Mizzix Mastery, you cast all the spells in your graveyard. Yeah, like there's a very high chance that you'll win, but it requires that setup. And most decks aren't able to use that. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't course. really do a whole lot in like your red goblin decks, your perforos decks, mm-hmm. your even your Duretti decks that are really relying on artifacts. Like there's a very specific kind of deck that Mizzix's mastery is really good in. Mm-hmm. Whereas insurrection, like, I mean, everyone plays yeah. creatures and they're not oh, even yeah. your creatures. You can, this is another spell where it's like, I have eight mountains and no cards in my hand and nothing on the battlefield. Oops, I win. Yeah. <laughs> and that obviously like, as we're going through this, you might be able to see where this, uh, imbalance mm-hmm. can kind of start to arise so uh kind of if you're ready we can move on to yeah. uh the next the next offender mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is green and we're gonna start with a card we mention uh a lot on the show yeah. <laughs> this is crater hoof behemoth so crater hoof behemoth is a incredibly easily tutorable <laughs> yeah threat um so if you have not had the good fortune to play against crater of behemoth uh, it is five green, green, green for a beast. It has haste. It's a five, five. And when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain trample and get plus X, plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. So this is qualitatively different from the other overrun effects in the format. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Overrun, you if, if you're given like your guys plus three, plus three or whatever... Like you still need to have a fair number of creatures, a lot of power on the board in order for the, to turn that into a win mm-hmm. against three opponents with 120 life. Like if you're just have a bunch of one ones, then you're you're overrun. Like you need to have 30 guys, yeah, to, to be able to kill everybody. Yeah, but with Crater Hoof, like because it's it offers like exponential damage output the input is so much smaller. And the thing is, like, with a regular overrun, if you've got 30 1-1 tokens on the battlefield, like, you're the threat. No yeah. one... There's no joke, like... Yeah, everyone... You can't hide that. Yeah, yeah, everyone is going to look over at your board go, that's a lot of guys, I need to do something about that. But we've had... We've seen so many games with Crater Hoof, like, uh, where somebody had, like, a 1-3... And two one ones and, and a solemn simulacrum yeah. and their commander and it's like, well, I don't have to worry about that guy. And then yeah. they top deck crater hoof and it's like, oh well, I'm attacking both of you for lethal, lethal, and then I'll figure out how to deal with you later. Yeah, just like really out of nowhere, and and that's really the thing. Like there are so many floaters in commander. Um, and they're good to have. Like Solemn Simulacrum is a card that lots of decks play because it's really good. It mm-hmm. gets you a land. It dies and draws you a card. It makes people not want to attack you because then you'll draw a card. And when your Solemn is just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, oh hey, I got plus five, plus five, and trample, and I can attack someone. Like that's nuts. And that yeah. came out of nowhere. Exactly. Like you. I mean, people say that. Like the the common counter argument is that like. Well, you have to have some guys on the board, and it's like, yeah, but you can't... If you have to play every single game where it's like, I have to damnation away that Solemn Simulacrum and those two tokens and that 
burned out reclamation sage yeah or i could potentially die next turn yeah <laughs> like that is that means that crater hoof is like warping your gameplay style because in yeah. no way are those cards a threat to you in a 40 life format no except for the existence of crater hoof yeah and and the thing is like that board is a problem <laughs> <laughs> like that board like because decks have access to crater hoof like you kind of aren't really ever safe if people have three, four, five creatures just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And again, that could be like, could be anything. It could be like a Wood Elves and uh, like a an Orc- Elanor Elf, an Oracle Moldaya, and then their commander, and then all of a sudden Crater Hoof is there and you're dead. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you could have done. Like, not even a kill spell yeah. <laughs> would have saved you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, it's it's really, really oppressive. And and part of what makes it so oppressive, if this if Crater Hoof was just one card in 99, sure, okay, you see it maybe once every four games, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But green is also the color of Worldly Tutor. Green is the color of Green Sun Zenith. Green mm-hmm. is the color of uh, Sylvan Tutor. It's got... You got your Tooth and Nail. You got your Court of Calling. You've got... A uh, fierce empath, like I could, I could go on. You've got your fauna shaman. You've got your survival of the fittest. Like I'm not, I'm not running out of cards to list anytime soon. And all these cards are totally playable by themselves in commander. None of these are, are going to be handicapping you if you put them in your green deck. Mm-hmm. So there are easily ten ways to find crater hoof. That's enough that every single game you will draw a way to find crater hoof in commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. God, there, there's so many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just really, in a way that I don't think is fair compared to all the other actual fun overruns, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of warps the game. Uh, and I know people don't agree necessarily on that. And I, like, I do welcome the discussion about this. I think that's a discussion that does need to be had. I think that with more education and uh, more gameplay experience and more like people conversing with each other and actually like talking about experiences and like like I said like having plans and executing on those plans it kind of does show you that this card if the format all things considered were um pointed in like a good direction where it's healthy for competitive for casual players all that stuff because I do think that balance is possible mm-hmm. I do think you can have uh, the format set up with uh, a ban list that isn't super egregious where competitive people are happy and casual people are happy and things are generally healthy, then Crater Hoof would be a big problem. That actually would be something that people would have to talk about. Mm-hmm. But there's also another overrun oh, yeah. <laughs> on this list. Sure. Let's, let's jump right into it. So Triumph of the Hordes is two green green for a sorcery. Until end of turn, creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain trample and infect. So this card is pretty effective at killing people. Uh, For sure. <laughs> the setup is a little bit more difficult than compared to Crater Hoof, but it's still it's still like very good at murdering your opponents. Yeah. Yeah, really, really good. It basically those floaters now have quadruple damage. Mm-hmm. They have quadruple strike. So your solemn is dealing instead of like the plus one plus one gives it three power, but it's dealing twelve damage yeah. instead of the two damage it was doing before the spell was cast. Mm-hmm. So that's um that's a lot of damage. Yeah, and this one does scale a lot better to creatures that are already large and in charge. Yeah. Um, whereas Crater Hoof can turn anything into a fighting force. Uh, like this one, you know, you probably do need like a a couple of four fours thrown yeah. in there. Oh yeah, that that would help a little bit more. Yeah. 
but it's still very effective. It's certainly a lot cheaper than Crater Hoof, so you can really uh, surprise people with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it does have the disadvantage that it's a sorcery, and it's not something that green can search out. Yeah. So Triumph of the Hordes, uh, you are really limited to just seeing it in the games you draw it. It's mm-hmm. not something you're able to easily search out unless you've got a support color to help you do that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're drawing a million cards, yeah, you'll probably see Triumph of the Hordes. But if you're not doing that, it's probably hit or miss if yeah, you want to see it. One in five games, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, do you... Yeah. Let's, let's move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. We have one more spell that we want to talk about today. And it's it's a little bit different than these other ones, but not actually. For one important reason, uh, the spell is Tooth and Nail. It's a sorcery. You Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> it's a uh, five green green for a... Sorcery, as I said, that has choose one, search your library for up to two creature cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library, or put up to two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield, or you can pay two for its entwine cost and get both. So really how this card reads is uh, nine mana, search your library for two creatures and put them on the battlefield. And that is... Bonkers! <laughs> if you are in just green, yeah, you're. I mean, roughly, you're limited in what you can do. Like, typically, you see this get either Avenger of Zendikar or Crater Hoof, both mentioned here, and you either get something that gives you value that draws a bunch of cards, or you get something else, Eternal Witness to get back the tooth and nail, something mm-hmm. heinous like that. But as soon as you introduce another color into the mix, it's a literal like nine mana. I win the game. Mm-hmm. Like this one card can assemble those two-card kind of combos or two-card, like, high synergies. Yeah, let's just run through these really quick. So if you're in (laughs) white-green, you've got your Spike Feeder Archangel of Thune combo Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to gain infinite life and make all of your creatures infinitely large. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully you can win at that point. Yeah, or even with white-green, you can... Well, there's more. We'll go through, like, at least one for each color, I think. Yeah. If you're in green-red, you've got Kijiki Zealous Conscripts. That's an easy one. Mm -hmm. If you're in green blue you got a couple options oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) probably one of the best things to do is get like dead eye palancron and then just make infinite mana and infinite blinks and then that one you know you kind of have to have like a another uh, something to spend your infinite mana on or like a creature that benefits from the blinks yeah i I would get honestly eternal witness palancron and Mm -hmm. then get dead eye and something else yeah. That's probably what I would end up doing. Oh, yeah, you know that's pretty solid. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. Um, and that's pretty true with most of the green pairings. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're in black-green, you can go ahead and get uh, Micaeus the Unhallowed and Triskelion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no matter what color combination you're in, and, and even if you're in just mono-green and you get Avenger and Crater Hoof, like, what that essentially does is giving all of your creatures plus 10, plus 10 and trample until end of turn and that's kind of like yeah that won't win on an empty board but if you have anything on the battlefield it's just ensuring that your crater hoof is enough to to finish the job it it really is absurd incredibly fast um and this was like when i started playing this was like one of the boogeymans of the format yeah it was just You'd see it all the time. It would end a game instantly. No one ever felt satisfied mm-hmm. with the win that they got from this. Yeah, fortunately, like our play group kind of matured past the point of using tooth and nail. For yeah, the win. for sure, because it really can get oppressive a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. 
that is besides the point though that it is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. it is uh, as we said a one card win condition a, a top deck that you're always happy to see and just does really absurd stuff um which i think moves us on to uh everyone you've kind of been waiting for this so uh white mm-hmm. so it, it, white white wing conditions um so what do you think man uh h- how do you feel about white's wind condition suite uh well there it'd be nice if they had some <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i agree with that so, um white just doesn't really have any of the things that meet the conditions that we said here mm-hmm. like all the other colors either have a way to i am going to win this turn mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to stop me or like i'm going to make it so that none of you guys can play and well i'll probably just win if i'm the only one playing magic anymore yeah and so there's some i want to say some caveats or some things that i think people might say as they're listening to this uh armageddon exists uh felidar sovereign exists like there's some things in white that uh again you can win with but one of the reasons that we're kind of not including them here is that like you don't just win after an Armageddon. Mm-hmm. You either had to have like an, an extensive mana base or you had to have threats on the field or like some kind of combo. Something had to happen in order for an Armageddon effect to win. And then Felidar Sovereign. You have to wait an entire turn. Yeah. It dies to spot removal. It dies to mass removal. Like all of these other things we mentioned both win you the game at, on an empty board. Yeah. And they also like don't require any setup yeah like armageddon sure it's great if you are in a commanding position and just want to prevent your opponents from from playing the game again yeah yeah from, from answering your threats that's cool but that doesn't have that doesn't really hold a candle to anything else we've talked about where it's like you can be losing mm-hmm. you can have like no cards in hand and then you draw exsanguinate and you're you're back in the game yeah. or you just won or even the mana denial cards that we mentioned so like talking about infernal darkness yeah you still like if you don't have your commander out when you cast infernal darkness you still could probably cast your command like like you are still able to play your game after you put that card down and that's why it's so powerful mm-hmm. where unless you did something setup wise before casting armageddon or at catastrophe, any of the Armageddon cards. You, th- that's kind of it. You're stuck because your lands are gone too. Mm-hmm. And so it it it's a card that obviously is very powerful. We talk about it a decent amount on the show, mm-hmm. uh, but it does require setup. Yeah. Um. And and again with Felidar uh, Sovereign, like no. it, it doesn't go off unless it's early game. Unless you can really get it out there. Yeah. And like look everyone in the eye and go like, please don't kill this. Yeah. And, and like on turn 10 when you're at 20 life it doesn't do anything and mm-hmm. and all these other cards we mentioned like they're really hard to interact with yeah like unless they have a counter spell for these win conditions we've been talking about like sanguinate if it resolves they're kind of screwed mm-hmm. if cabal conditioning Myojin knight's reach hatred insurrection crater of behemoth mm-hmm. triumph of the hordes tooth and nail if any of those things resolve they're in a really bad position yeah um so there is like kind of do you do you think that there's like exactly none do you think we can make like a caveat maybe the closest thing to a win condition and even and this is like you really got to be squinting your eyes (laughs) you got to take your glasses off uh is divine intervention 
So <laughs> this is six white white for an enchantment. Uh, it enters the battlefield with two intervention counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an intervention counter from divine intervention. And then when you remove the last intervention counter, the game is a draw. So, well, it it ends the game, which is more than can be said for most white cards. Uh, it's a card type that's difficult to interact with, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. But, you know, you don't win the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, so there there's a thing to be said. There are people in playgroups we play in now and in the past that they're just shooting for second like they're agents of chaos Mm -hmm. and whatever like i feel like this card might appeal to them somewhat i feel like if you actually think if you think a little bit further than just the line like the game is a draw Mm -hmm. you can kind of like you you can kind of see past that like what does that mean oh the game the game ended. I executed on my plan, mm-hmm. and the game is over. <laughs> what does that normally? What does that normally equal? Like you can kind of pull out this uh, this feeling, and it it feels as someone who has played with divine intervention and has gotten it to go off. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like a win. Yeah, you do. It, we will feel like a win, and I think we both feel like white should play in this space a little bit more than they have mm-hmm. that um and and especially with cards like that like this is an eight mana enchantment that's not going to break standard i would hope that drawing the game cards would come at a better rate than this but yeah i think you can push them at a better rate because that that would no one is going to jam that into their standard deck exactly and and honestly and this is like painfully slow yeah <laughs> like it's a good thing that it's not a very vulnerable card type because like waiting two entire turns to go off like compare it to anything else we've talked about today which is like comparable mana cost Mm -hmm. like expropriate insurrection myogen of knight's reach crater hoof tooth and nail they're all about the same amount but they all like put you into first place or win the game Mm -hmm. when they resolve whereas like divine intervention has you gotta wait two turns yeah you gotta wait two turns (laughs) And this is really, like, kind of to bring the point back home for this episode, like, one of the reasons we're doing this is to get a view of the kind of format as it is right now. And if you look at the format to, like, its extremity, like, the the win conditions of the format, like, the most powerful cards of the format, you see this massive skew. You can see where the holes are, not only in what uh, colors, like, need help just in deck slots, but also power level. Um, like we mentioned, uh, blue and blue w- has a ton of cards that fit this thing. The redundancy is there. Uh, black, we mentioned like five cards here and could have mentioned more. And of uh, course, like a million tutors and to a, find them. Yeah, a million tutors. And the same with green, like we mentioned five, four cards here. All of them are good on top of just all of the tutors that are in green in general for, for creatures and lands and whatnot. Like on just its face like these three colors have like so much more powerful options available to them when you get to red and white and you look and red has a card congrats red you did it buddy you made Mm -hmm. you made it onto the board white couldn't even do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so this is the the reason why we're bringing this up or one reason why we're bringing this up is and 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 sorry and also and red and white don't have any way to find these things especially yeah. red mm-hmm. like if all green had was crater hoof it'd still be in a great position because it could find it a million ways yeah exactly like what, having just a single insurrection is not a problem if red can tutor out sorceries but it, yeah but it, it cannot can't no yeah it doesn't work mm. uh, i think i think red could do that oh, okay but um 
just to get back to the point, like this, this kind of is an exercise in uh, looking at what the format needs and where the format is and uh, kind of so that you understand, like if you do make a fire song and sun speaker deck, you do like, there's an awareness there. I think it's like, I do really like fire song and sun speaker. I've had bad times when I've goldfished the deck I've seen my friends be frustrated with the deck, but I do think the card is interesting, and I think it's cool that they push red and white into that space. I think they need to do that more and better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think these colors need more and better tools at their disposal, more and better win conditions. And do I think the format would be better if like, they only printed these like incredibly powerful one-card like, win cons in all the colors? Like, no. Like, I don't think the format would be better if white, if they just put, like, four or five, like, must-play white mm-hmm. staples into the format. But looking at this and seeing what is here kind of can inform what it, the future should be pushing towards. Yeah. And also, like, it wouldn't be... It would be nice to just have, like, an even playing field where all yeah, colors yeah. are capable of winning the game and commander ga- and, like... Commander games just don't go on too long mm-hmm. because every color has like a trigger it can pull after everyone, you know, okay, we've been playing for 10 turns and I think I can go for it now, so I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Like everyone gets an opportunity to play and then you can shuffle up and move to the next game and you don't have these problems where it's like I'm a white control deck and I've definitely got the game on lock. I can stop everyone from doing anything else. But I have no. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a plan. I'm, I'm gonna loop this like dust elemental and make like with my uh, the Hikori and all these things, so that like I get to play and you don't. But I don't, none of my guys can attack because they don't have haste mm-hmm. and and all this. Like it really, really gets uh, really bad really fast. And so, it, yeah, like colors not having access to win conditions just leads to the least fun games of commander yeah where you're losing where everyone else is losing slowly Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of games i think that's one of the reasons that people don't like armageddon that's one of the reasons people don't like cyclonic rift is because people play them at times where you don't need to Mm -hmm. (laughs) you don't need to like cyclonic rift is is iffy we we will probably this will be discussions that the community has mm-hmm. in general for a long time. It's a reactive card at its heart. You like, yeah, if you have a board and you cyclonic rift, you can kill someone or kill everyone or whatever, something like that. But cyclonic rift, like didn't win you that game. Mm-hmm. Like your, your board did like cyclonic rift was a tool to help you win the game. Just like the tutor didn't win you the game. Like the crater hoof did. Yeah. Like that kind of a thing. And I think the awareness of that fact is, uh, it's hard to see that when, everyone announces the card and then the game ends really quickly after that Mm -hmm. or uh someone plays this card and then the game drags on for 10 12 more turns Mm -hmm. i think that the the associations that come from this make it really hard for people to kind of step back and become aware of what actually is happening from like a game perspective Mm -hmm. well uh definitely please let us know if there's any like win conditions that we've missed we're looking for any card that just like wins you the game out of nowhere with little or no setup. Yeah, this is not necessarily a like this is not a comprehensive list at all. Like we we said, these are cards that, that like we have experience with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let let us know if there's something we're leaving out. We'd love to uh, 
learn more about the format. Yeah, and, and your experience with it. So please let us know your thoughts. Uh, let us know if you disagree with anything. Let us know just how your day's going. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. I hope you all had a great time with that episode. Uh, I just wanted to jump in at the end. So here it is. I'm going to give a brief shout out to our Patreon patrons. This is Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Eamon, Kevin, Matthew, Jamie, Russell, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Ooh, wow. Thank you all so much for supporting us, even in these times when things are hard. I promise we have some more cool stuff brewing that we just we couldn't get out on time because the holidays and COVID and everything is, is kind of falling apart. But we appreciate you all, and we hope you all are staying safe and having as good a holidays as you can. So talk to you later. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.